What Would June Daly Watkins Do acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which we meet today. We would also like to pay our respects to Elders past, present and future. And his edict was good manners, dress well and do everything properly. Does what we wear really matter? What about taking a call while we're at the checkout? Or neglecting to RSVP? In a rude modern world, what would June Daly Watkins do? While the Order of Australia recipient quite literally wrote the book on manners, we're asking what that legacy really means today. Your host, Jody Bache McLean, has had the privilege of working with the late June Daly Watkins for over 36 years. Now, Jody is picking up the baton with one key question Is etiquette dead and buried? Or does the modern world need Miss Daly's teachings now more than ever? While the sporting world is all too often a source of controversy, we ask comedian, sports journalist and author, actor and keynote speaker Steve Haddon just how important is it to be seen to do the right thing? Welcome, Steve. And in a way, it's sort of a, a welcome back because this isn't our first rodeo, is it, you and I? We've done a lot of exciting things we together, Jodie, and it's always been a pleasure. Oh, thank you. I cast back, gosh, it's 12 years ago. I think it was 2010. You and I were doing a, well, with our dear friend Cynthia Morton, we presented a workplace education program called Head, Heart and Body Masterclass. Do you remember that? That was a fantastic time. It that was, we had. wasn't it? Very challenging mm. insofar as we had to come up with material to engage a group of people who were very threatened in their workplace. So the managers got us in to calm everyone down. They did, didn't and they? And of course, some of them were difficult to calm down. But the good thing was some were calmed down and we had enormous results. And so we went on and did that with other companies at uh, at Lendlease mm-hmm. and Channel Nine, the Nine Network, who I just finished with six months earlier. Twelve months later, we would I was doing a seminar for their staff were feeling a bit threatened and I know what that's like. So it's nice to be able to put people at ease and tell everyone it's going to be okay. And you were very good at that. And I think I, for me, it was just the journey and and getting to know you even better and hearing your story and watching the way that you interacted with the audience was remarkable. And there were a few things that I took away from that. But getting back to when we first ran into each other, I think we're on a plane to Sydney from We've known each other for a long, long time. We, we go back ages ago to to, 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 to the 80s, but but I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. We it was that plane back. trip, wasn't it, where it we was. talked about... The- Remember there was an article in the paper about the rugby league, I don't know who it was, and it was some atrocious behaviour and it was front page news and I think I said to you, Steve, what can we do? What can we do to change the behaviours in sport in Australia, and we were chatting about that, and then it all sort of happened from there, didn't it? We came up with head, heart, and body. Well, Cynthia Morton did, yes. Well, it'd be nice. I think we were thinking at the time was, hey, here's these young kids, basically, you know, in their early twenties, going out and drinking too much or drugging too much, and finding themselves in a predicament where they've done something that they've learned to regret. And so the idea that we had. Jody was that we were going to sit down and talk to them and say, hey, we were all young once, we have all made mistakes, we've been down this road, but it's different for you. 
in 2022 because phones are going and the sporting networks are looking for material to throw into the news cycle and keep us going another 24 hours. Only on the weekend we had Kevin Proctor from the Titans who lost his job for at half-time vaping in the dressing room, in the toilet, and then putting it up on social media and saying to everyone, look at me. And you look at that and you say, someone needs to pull this poor boy aside because we're all quick to judge. We are. You know, we all get on our little keyboards and Mm. we say, tut, tut, you shouldn't have done this Mm. and you shouldn't have done that. And that, you know, keeps the Facebooks and the Twitters and keeps them going. It does. Gives everyone a forum to be able to judge. We like to do that, don't we? We do love to judge. And so this poor boy does something really, really stupid loses his job, mind you. Now, he's probably going to find it very difficult to get a job in Australia now because he thought it was a funny idea at half time to to, to go and vape mm. in the dressing room while his team were out there playing. And he was he was out injured, I believe, or something, something like that. So the question that we asked together, Jody, was why And how can we probably Mm. get these guys to ask the questions Mm. of themselves Mm. before they do something that they'll regret? And he'll Mm. regret that. He'll regret that for the rest of his life and he'll be talking about it for the rest of his life. He'll be sitting here in a podcast one day and (laughs) someone will say, tell me about the vaping incident. And that's when I was putting my list of my favourite people that I'd love to, to unpack this theory of etiquette and manners. You were, aside from being a gentleman... But I also felt that you were someone who could really comment with expertise on sportsmanship and manners and how that sort of sits within our culture within Australia. And that and it was interesting because when I asked you for your quote, and I have asked all of our guests a quote that resonates with them about the subject of good manners and etiquette, you referenced the legend Dick Reynolds, the Essendon... King, King yeah. Richard, yes. the, the Essendon triple Please Brownlow sh- medalist... <laughs> Coach, <laughs> uh, multiple premiership coach, multiple premiership player. It's even better, Jody. This quote because I met him. Oh, really? Once, and sometimes if you meet these people, Norm Proven, the great immortal rugby league St George, ten-time premiership player and captain, and uh, he was another one that walked and carried himself with a grace, a grace not only of that era the early 50s, mm. you know, he was a product of that. Dick was, Dick, you know, played football during the, the war years, was a wonderful Essendon player. And his edict was good manners, dress well and do everything properly. And that was up on the wall during this great run of success that the Essendon, and I thought, I was watching this on a documentary not so long ago. Mm. And then having met him once, and his wife came up. To, I was at a 1996 centenary of the AFL and they had as many of the 100 greatest AFL players gathered at the MCG this afternoon, very low on the food chain, wandering around getting autographs as Steve Haddon, <laughs> then working for Channel 9. And the AFL had brought me south, given me an overnight bag and then thrust me in amidst all these... And, there's Lee Matthews. Oh, you must have been in heaven. There's Polly Farmer. There's Dick Reynolds. There's um, John Nichols. They're, they're, they were all there. They were, you know, Peter Hudson. And it was a wonderful, you know, kid in a candy shop. Mm. And then this little old lady walks up to me and uh, she says, I've got someone who'd like to meet you. And I turned to her and I said, certainly. 
let's go. And she took me around the corner and introduced me to this handsome man of about six foot who uh, was probably, this is about seven years before the man they know as King Richard okay. at Essendon before he died. And he was a tanned skin, beautiful wavy hair. And he looked at me and he said, I like the way you report the football up in Brisbane. Wow. And I, this is not about Steve Haddon. No. This is about a man of enormous success with accomplishments that just stacked up in a room somewhere on certificates. This man who is the dress properly, good manners, do everything well, he's the man that had that idea, but front and centre, whenever you met him and other people have, when I tell this story to people, they say, I met him once and exactly the same thing happened. He asked me about me. Wow. In an environment that where was any, about him. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Where in an environment where anything that I was likely to say to be was to be terribly insignificant. It's a wonderful quality of these people that move with grace. Mm. And I think, Jody, if you're a man as I am, and you meet them, the thing that draws you to them is a desire to be more like them because you can see the effect that they have on people and you can see the effect that they move, mm. you know, the, when they move in a room with people. Because in a room like that where you gather the greatest AFL players, VFL players of all time, there's one that stands out, as with Norm Proven, he was exactly the same. He would engage you on that level and that's manners. It is, isn't it? One hundred percent. So consideration, go- consideration, Jody, for other people and their feelings and how they're yes. feeling in the room. You know, and I love that thing when you meet people and they affect you that way. That that's, a, I get a little bit choked up well, when you- I think of the day that I met Dick Reynolds. Oh, but I have know? to say, you are exemplary in that area and in many areas. You do project all of that, and I've seen you in action. I've watched you present to groups and you are a great role model, Steve. And that's sort of, that's a nice segue to my my thought and my question. With these young men in sport today, you know, they train hard, they excel in their sport and all of a sudden they're thrown into the spotlight at 18, 19, 20, 21. They're not always given the tools on, they're all of a sudden they've become a celebrity. Are the role models there like the Dick Reynolds, that wonderful quote of his, is that up on the wall in the change room? I, mm. I'm not sure. What can we do to help well, them? I think Wayne Bennett was very much an operator in that particular space. You know, those simple messages and his background would indicate to me, and he, Wayne Bennett's a guy that walks with a bit of grace. He does. Too, and, when he, you know, and people listen to him. When he opens his mouth and comments about something, you listen. We mm, all do. Mm. And I think that he would have been a purveyor of that sort of, hey, if we're going to do anything, we do it well. If you're out and about, dress properly. And remember always to be well-mannered. And that means to be polite. It means to be on time. It means to do what you say you're going to do. It's about saying please and thank you. It's about holding your knife and fork and closing your mouth when you chew your food. It's all, it's all that it stuff. It is all of it's those It's about things. holding a door open for a lady when she gets into a car. But are we expecting too much of these young sports people that they know all of this stuff? Well, I don't know. My mum and dad taught me that stuff and they were pretty particular about teaching me how to be well-mannered. 
And I just want to take you to a place that may have happened to you, Jodie Bashay McLean. <laughs> when someone comes up to you and says, gosh, that boy of yours, Lachlan, is a well-mannered young man. He's welcome at our home anytime. Mm. When someone says that about your boy, I don't think there's anything that fills you with joy. The it's way, the way it does me as a parent when someone says that about one of my kids mm. and it's about the position on the ladder of priorities in someone's life that manners takes. Mm. You manners know, if, matter. Manners matter. Mm. And, you know, people can say, oh, you know, if you're a kid and you've learned to say please and thank you and you've learned to do some of those other things that I've told you about, the world's your oyster because nothing's going to get you further in life than politeness and manners and respect for other people. It's not about virtue signalling when you say, I believe in this or I believe in that or I believe in that. What it's about is it's about moving in society and moving among other people and having a set of values and rules that pertain to you. Now, you may have read them somewhere. Your mum Mm. and dad may have drummed Mm. them into you when you were sitting sitting at the table. But it's very, very important and you've got to learn, you've got to see for yourself sometimes how this reverberates with other people, what sort of impact it makes. It does, but is it oversimplistic to quote Dick Reynolds and and saying to someone, do the right thing? If you do the right thing, a lot of mishaps will be avoided. Is it that simplistic? It's about choices. Life is always about choices. It's about choices you make. And if you get to any fork in the road... And you're able to say, well, what's the right thing to do? Mm. And uh, what would my father do? What would Dick Reynolds do? You know, they, what, what choice would they make? Well, they wouldn't go into the dressing room and vape and put it up on social media. Mm. You know, mm. they wouldn't do something like Mitchell Pearce did or Todd Carney did. For people who will forever be tarred with this brush of doing something appalling. As I said to preface all this, we've all been stupid and done something. Yes. But the thing is that I think it's very important that you have at least something there that you're able to go on. And I think the beauty of what Dick Reynolds says in his three-part mantra is its simplicity. Mm, mm. It is simple. Mate, you do that. You you look at a footballer, you say, dress properly, look tidy, look like you mean it, look like you're serious, good manners. The things that I've gone through, be polite, please and thank you is always very nice, and uh, do everything properly. You mm. know, do, if, you, if you're sitting down and someone's asked you to do something, run around the lap ten times, do it properly. Mm. If someone's asked you to do something in the dressing room or could you go and see these people over there that have brought that little boy in the wheelchair here all the way down from Mackay or in June or Mergen, mm. who's come down to watch training, go over there and talk to the family for a while. Yes. Engage them. It, it's that stuff. Do everything properly. And, and not to put too fine a point on it, I think young people like simple messages. They do, don't they? Yeah, don't, don't complicate it. Just, no, just make tell it them, simple. You know, be Keep, smart. Yeah. You're, you're smart that? enough to know what the right thing and the wrong thing is. The KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. That's it. It works well, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. So... With these behaviours in sport today, do you think it makes it hard for the fans? You know, one minute they're idolising this demigod and then they're looking at the person that they admire in sport the most and then these people are making these career-breaking decisions. Do you think fans have short memories and they forgive easily or do you think they're becoming more astute and sort of saying, well, that's not, 
that behaviour is not right and, and... See, that's a good question. It is. <laughs> I, I th- and I'm struggling to give you a, a simple a simple answer. Do you think um, the fans agreed with the, I guess, for want of a better word, the punishment for the vaping? Yeah, but they'll move on in 24 hours. Yeah. There'll be someone else in the firing line. And that's the thing that the modern player has to be aware of. You're walking a very, very tight rope here, Sonny or young lady, and you've got to know that this is thing that you're holding on to and this thing that you're aiming for and this thing that you've always told me that you wanted. You know, you always wanted to play for Australia or play for Queensland in a state of origin like the one a couple of weeks ago. That's a very fragile dynamic and you've got to treat it with enormous respect. We know you're going to make mistakes on the field you're going to do some strange things, but the, the reality is it's this dumb stuff. It is. Which Wayne Bennett always said, nothing good ever happens after 12 o'clock in a hotel. So He's a wise know, man. He's a, you know, that, that's pretty smart. You know, the, you know what? If these kids, these footballers can get through their football career without a drug and alcohol problem, they'll be okay. Yeah. Therein lies probably the crux of the matter a lot of the time, that when they go down that route... I suspect Kevin Proctor might have been in a bit of a state when he decided it was in a making a, the bad a, decision. A good, a bad decision like mm. that to go into a bathroom and vape and film it and film it and then put it on social media within you know a day of the end of the match. I think it was almost after the game. So the chairman of the Titans would have called him in and said, "Not on our watch, mate. Sorry." He would have violated a clause in his contract by yes. doing that, which would be a behavioural clause. Mm, mm. I mean, there's you know? there's been so many huge scandals over the years, whether it goes from allegation of affairs, match fixing to drug use, both on and off the pitch, so to speak. Yeah. Well, we love a good scandal, we don't do, we? we? We love do. drama and we, we love that. And, and sometimes the fans are as guilty as, you know, but when they get on and they, they give their two, you know, on their keyboard and they do give their two bobs worth, so to speak. Um, as you much know. as we want them to be well behaved, we enjoy the voyeurism. Oh, of, we love it. We do, don't we? We love the voyeur, them. how the mighty has fallen, <laughs> you know, that, that, that type of thing. Yeah. Do you think there's a particular sport that has a problematic culture? Is there one in particular that you think they tend to get into more strife than the other? Good question. Hmm. In um, your experience, now you've been in this space for a long, long time. So from your observation, and it's only your observation, is it the rugby league? I don't think it's a new. I don't. No, I don't it's think, not new. It's. I don't it, think it just wasn't on social media. Wasn't on social media, mm. and, and people weren't filming it. Mm. You know, I think. I think back in the old days. I finished an autobiography helping Wally Lewis produce that not so long ago and some of the things that the players used to get up to in the 60s and the 70s when they were out on the drink were pretty crazy. Mm. But no one, even the journalists that were following around, there was an unwritten law that he had to talk about football. If you go through a Courier-Mail in the 60s or the 70s, there's never mention of anything that a player might have, Hmm. an an indiscretion that a player committed while he was on the drink. Absolutely none. It was all about the match. That was the rule. All about the players. Who's injured, who'll be playing, then what happened at Lang Park. Whereas now, open charter of the media is Mm. that what gets clicks is not so much who won the match because anyone who wanted to watch has seen the match. Tell me about something that happened at a bar after the game. Wow. So, you know, that's an... an so they're, they're really targeted, these this sports This is a new phenomenon. This, is a, this really, is a new phenomenon It's almost too. like, you know, it, it beggars the question about mental health issues because they're a target. Yeah. 
So people will try and entice them or entrap them or, you know, I, I, I feel for them enormously. My advice would be to keep your head down. Mm. Keep your eye on the ball, so to, speak. so to speak. Concentrate on what you've got to do, and it's so easy to get distracted because uh, you know we ask so much of them as young people. We do, don't we? Yep. And I think they need. Too, the we course. ask too much of them, I think. But that's the club's space running the the mental health area to make sure that we all keep it together. And boy, oh boy, it's a difficult difficult task they're charged with to keep these young players on on track on song because you've got to give them a little bit of leeway you've mm. got, you know they're young men so they they're old enough to yes to do what they want when they when they want to do it but you've got to at least say to them mate remember we're paying you a million dollars a year it can all come to a screaming halt if you do something dumb while you're on the drink mm. Mm. White powder, all these sort of silly, silly things. That it was Cam Munster, I think that one. You know, he'll regret that forever. And at the it's old ANZ one. Stadium, and years and years down the track, people will be shouting at him from over the fence. You know, it is a tough one. It's when we talk about men in sport, because and again, this was Cynthia Morton had come up with this program that we turned into head, heart and body, but originally it was gladiators and gentlemen. Correct. And and they are. They're expected to be gladiators one moment and then how do we turn those gladiators into gentlemen in their behaviours and the choices that they make? It's no easy feat. And and They they need really good mentors. They do, don't they? They need help and if they've got a problem, they need someone that they can go and talk to it. To mm. talk to about it. That's the, don't we all? Don't we all? Need, when we're young, need role models and people that we can look up to, but also in a crisis, someone that we can go and talk to. It's interesting because we've been saying, young men, gentlemen, there's the truth in me saying that there is a constant presence in media of mishaps, in especially with young they're men. They're not just and, young men. No, they're, they're not young. Some of these, some of <laughs> yes. these people are poli- politicians that get into strife and do dumb things while they're on the drink as well. So, But if, if we, we sort of reference sport for the minute, yep. why don't we hear as much about women in sport? Do you think... We've sort of nailed the behaviour or we, I mean, it's an interesting thought, isn't it, really, when we hear more about young men in sport or men in sport, but we don't sort of see as many issues or media stories around women in sport and bad behaviour. Why do you think that is? Well, there's some some of the girl tennis players can turn it on, <laughs> match it with the best of them. As Serena Williams going apoplectic and can mm-hmm. mix it with Nick Kyrgios at the best of times. Mm-hmm. If she's mad at someone, you know, <laughs> by the court. So, so I think um, in answer to that question on a broad level, rather than specific people who have been guilty of temper tantrums and that type of thing, I think the appetite for a good women's sporting scandal out there in the world would be <laughs> as robust as any appetite for one involving the men. Mm. Wouldn't we all like to see a good girl's sporting scandal? No, I wouldn't. You no. wouldn't. But you know what I'm saying? I so do. in answer to your question, is it a matter of them, A, maybe got in, not attracting as much coverage? Well, it's not a level playing field, is it, well, really? Well, it's, it's, it's the girls and it's the boys and the attention at the minute tends to be, remember, it's all all this is all about money mm. eventually, so it tends to be on who fills the stadiums. And at the moment, it's the men filling the stadium, but the women are coming at them. And the very things that you talk about it, talk about the idea that the women are better behaved, may be a very, very important tool that they use in future to attract sponsors and support 
you may have on one hand, yes, the boys are making all the money and they're filling all the stadiums, but the girls don't tend to get in as much trouble. Mm. So probably we'll park our sponsorship with the netball team or, or a women's AFL team or a women's rugby league team. Well, um, sponsors become the arbiters, don't they? Because if, if something goes wrong, they pull that and they're very quick to pull those funds, that sponsorship. And, yeah. um, and that would make me think that sporting institutions, they should be more concerned and they probably are in ensuring behaviours and, and mentors are, are being sort of implemented in sport today because, as you prefaced early in our discussion, it's about money. It's going to come back and help them if they're able to keep their particular players in, mm. um, in in check. Yes. You know, if we can keep our team in check, keep them out of the newspapers, off the TV screens and, and out of social media, we'll be better served. I would suggest, hard though it is, it's not easy for a player who's just had a bad game or dropped a ball at the death or, th- a lot of pressure or on dropped these, a pass to be, to be going on social media and seeing the public just bag him. Oh, this bloke shouldn't be in first grade. He's not up to standard. Get rid of him. You know, all this and worse than that. Mm. So I would say there's a lot to be said, Jody, for not being on social media. There is. Not listening to that noise. And I constantly look at this myself. I, why am I looking at this phone? Why am I reading these people being critical about one issue or another or one person or another? Isn't there something I could be better well, tending to with this time? It's like it, alcohol and drugs. It is. Technology is an addiction mm. as well and it's been presented to us. It's this new generation. It's, it's You know, we either learn to live with it and learn to respect it and use it wisely or we go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, well, we're doing it now, aren't we? We're doing a podcast but which do- will go on yes, which we will are. go on a platform, yes. one of the new, you know, a Spotify or something wherever it's wherever mm-hmm. it's going and, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll hope to that. that. But we'll maybe ho- we're, we're educating at the same time so I there's a takeaway so. that goes with that. Yep. You mentioned before Nick Kyrgios. So what are your thoughts? Because I would say, even though there's... I think he's a naughty little boy. Yes, he is. That's what, and then someone, did, someone didn't smack his bottom when, <laughs> when he was young or whatever. So you believe it was whatever. ill-mannered when he wore the red shoes um, on court? I think the red cap and, and... I think it's all part of the theatre. Do you? I yes. think to a certain extent... We want you know, him if to we, do if that. We look, if Muhammad Ali used to be a naughty little boy 60 years ago I remember too. that video used to play in, in yeah, our sessions. That was the, that was the video of the, uh, the Rumble in the Jungle in 1974, but 10 years before that, you know, as he was making his way up into the um, way towards the heavyweight championship of the world, he was a very mouthy yes. sort of guy. So he would go, what he did, you know, long before he ever became the, the icon, and the he was the most hated sportsman in the world. Muhammad Ali and John McEnroe, these sort of guys literally leave Nick Kyrgios in their wake. Mm. It's a heated contest. The umpires are, are trying to keep it all together. A guy like John McEnroe or Muhammad Ali would play Nick Kyrgios off a break. Mm. You know, they'd leave him in the shade. John McEnroe probably in the tennis world, but Ali used to mouth off about his opponents and call them bums and call them stupid and gorillas and all sorts of weird... So you couldn't do that now. No, no. This is is not new behaviour, bad behaviour. None of it really is. Bad behaviour is not a new phenomenon. It's just that when it happens, we learn about it straight away Mm. because everyone's got a phone. They can take a photo of it. Let's use the tennis world as an example. Mm. Who would you say is the icon of gentlemanly behaviour in the tennis world. Who would you put up as your pin-up? Well, I think the reason for doing this is also to say, hey, the best thing about sport is the theatre. And sometimes 
like the New South Wales State of Origin team or we're talking where we are in, in Brisbane at yes. the moment. You and I are a couple of Queenslanders. We can't have a State of Origin contest without an enemy. Yes. And the enemy is New South Wales. So we don't have any of this fun with State of Origin unless we have a bad the guy. Blues, a bad guy. Mm. So we need this in anything. In tennis, we need a good guy and a... A bad guy. Yeah, yeah. So the theatre is critical to all sport. It's um, The theatre is critical to bums on seats. The theatre is critical to the money side of things which pays these people. So you're asking me whether there is benefit in that and being polite. I think if you have too many people and they're all polite, you don't get the theatre. Do you? No. If everyone's the same, if everyone's just playing off that, well, he had a good game and we'll do better next time type of thing, rather than losing the plot, mm. I think we don't get, oh, I've got to go home tonight and turn on this interview. Apparently something was said after the British Gulf Open or something. I've got to go and see what this guy actually said. Mm. The weekend and the West Tigers and the Cowboys up in and the referee up in the box making this crazy decision which cost the West Tigers a much-needed win, we all want to go home and see the football commentators on Fox Sports bagging the official and seeing what's happened. It's all an element. If everyone was too polite, I think there's a balance you can... There is. I think the simple and the road better travelled would be if you haven't got anything nice to say about anyone, don't say anything at all. <laughs> That's one of the old rules. So it it's is, not, you know, it just, is. Just, just shut your mouth. Mm. You know, no one's interested. But you still haven't. You've been very, very particular in not answering my question. About about a, an icon of world well, tennis that, or sport or something? The icon. An Ash Barty? Yes. Is an example of, of a girl, obviously, from a good upbringing. Mm. The context of what she was doing was relayed to her. You're playing tennis. You know, this one. She was last a great forever. role model for young people. She's wasn't fantastic. She? Mm. She's, she was fantastic. So, the other question. Which sport do you believe has the worst reputation for behaviour? The worst perception. Perception, sorry, perception. Perceptions around it. And this, yes. this may be why it's the, the most popular sport in Queensland and, and New South Wales. It's probably football. In a broader sense, the AFL has, has had its issues with drugs and alcohol and, and kids doing silly things as well. Also, I think team sport, a lot of them there's an element of I can't generalise. No, I, I no. can't generalise and say this sport is worse than others. You've got to understand the demographic of where players come from. Still, rugby league is still, although not necessarily, most of these kids are on scholarships at private schools coming yes. into clubs now. You know, mm. you've got kids of 15 at Churchy who are signed up already at the Broncos. So um, we can't generalise and say one is worse than the other. I would say this, that if we were ever going to put our feet in the water and, and look at rugby league and say, it's them, I would also at the same time say that I have never seen better people involved with the sport than rugby league people. Mm. You know, and I'm talking about gentlemen and gentlewomen and, and ladies and people that are around these kids. Good role models. Clubs keep kids out of courts. It's That's true. the way I look at it. You mm. know, the kid's down there on a Saturday morning playing some rugby league with his mates. He's going to be better served than sitting at home doing nothing and just mm. milling it over in his head where he can get into trouble. Yes. But it's these people that work around those young people at those clubs. I legitimately and passionately take my hat off to those people because I see them in action. I mm. see them give up the whole of their weekend 
some of these people. So 400 kids can get on a sporting field and play sport. Mm. And then they go to work on Monday and, and, you know, come home and they're doing it five nights a week as well. So They're special people, aren't they? They're making a difference. Yeah, so rugby league attracts the headlines in this part of the world. Fairly, unfairly, I don't know. I, I don't reckon it's a worse sport behaviour-wise than any of, no. the, any of the others. Is it an easy fix? If I said to you, okay, Steve, you have total control over instigating something within this sporting arena to help young men and women make better decisions, is it an easy fix? I would say no, because it's a societal thing. It's not necessarily confined to sport, but I think, you know, a long journey starts with a single step. Mm. So I think what you've got to do, and I'm sure most clubs do this, when you get these kids in there, I think the role models around them have to be responsible for certain levels of behaviour too, Jody. Oh, you know, I've been down at a footy club and watching coaches carry on mm. and the kids just see their coach swearing at a referee. I've seen some appalling sideline behaviour at an under-14 Aussie rules game and I've sort of thought, wow, no wonder the team is behaving badly and getting themselves. Have a look at the carry-on from the coach mm. and the parents on the sideline, what they're doing. So it's not a player issue. It's a, you know, a lot of these players. Oh, I agree. A lot of, a lot of these, these kids are seeing model behaviour that's being modelled from their parents and coaches are as guilty as anyone. Mm. So I reckon it starts there. It does. And I think, want to say this, I do believe in most sports they're trying, they're doing their best. And you've got a little kid who's, little kid who's 12 who's out there umpiring these kids you know, and kids are swearing at him and calling the referee. Johnny just got sent off because he called the umpire a C word, you mm. know, and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, really? Mm. And that's, oh, yeah, but he's been biased all day, you know, and it, I reckon a lot of it starts and finishes with the quality of the parenting, just mm. quite frankly. Mm. And a lot of these people that are at clubs shouldn't be there. Well. Because they're not accepting the responsibility. No. The responsibility is to model behaviour for these young kids to make them better human beings. Well Not said. Not worse. Well said. I'm just going to sort of change directions for a little moment there because I do want to talk about your, you wear many hats, Steve. So you're an author, you're a comedian and so much more. And I remember when we were doing our tour, we were like rock stars, weren't we? We were touring all around North Queensland, all around Brisbane. And you would start your session. So your session was Use Your Head. And you'd always start with a joke. And... You are incredible. What is the? Is there a proper term for someone who tells jokes? I know it's Probably comedian. Probably a, sto a storyteller. A storyteller. I guess, I guess. And your timing. You know, I think I heard the same joke hundreds of times. And that's I'm, what my wife says. I, I laugh every time, but I laugh every time because <laughs> everyone's the, heard my jokes a hundred times. The way that you, you say them, and we even had this conversation whilst we were on tour. So in an era of, of Jimmy Carr, who's known for being very. What can I we say? We need those. We yeah, need those people. I watched, I watched the latest Bill Burr and oh, he's the other night. Well. He's, he's just astonishing. But, you know, most of the audiences that I'm in, I couldn't begin well, well, to. In a modern world. Yeah, can we tell the same jokes nowadays? No, 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 no. We can't? In, a, in a modern world, it's very difficult to be a, a comedian. And, Jody, at 64, my appetite for going into environments that I'm not really sure about it and doing my shtick, so to speak, and then having 
25-year-old HR intern come back and create an issue or, or something like that. It's a really difficult. It used to be this way in the 80s, 90s, 2000s. We could get away with anything. So it's almost as if my work as an author has come at the right time yes. to say to me, you don't need the grief mm. of just... And when I work as a comedian, you've also got to understand that I'm also filled with fear mm. that there will be a bad outcome mm -hmm. and that the client will want to create an issue. Um, you know, there'll be very rarely, but, you know, there's the potential for do we pay him or not because he upset one of our people. <sighs> It, it's exhausting. exhausting. It's exhausting. And sometimes, you know, a week before a gig, two weeks before a gig, I'm filled with fear. The way around that is to prepare impeccably, mm. of course, and know it, you know, and speak to these people and say, who have we got there? Who have we? And there's also, on the other hand, given my experience, I can also tell what you talk about and what you don't mm. talk, talk about. You know, if I'm going to do a, a job for the foundation, Somerville House and, you know, in a room full of 400 people at the Emporium, you know you can get away with a certain amount of stuff, but don't make a spectacle of yourself and don't say something that's unnecessary. You know, make them laugh and make them have a good time, but uh, avoid the temptation to go down a route that you don't need to go down. No, you know what no, I'm saying? We Avo can't make you, fun you, of people. You've been around yes, this. You've I been have. around this space long <laughs> enough to know that, mate. You don't need the grief. No, you don't. It, that doesn't need to be said. Put a line through that one before you. You know, and, and say the things that are going to work in that space. If you happen to get a footy club prawn afternoon, it's full of men. Occasionally, you can go for your life. Knock yourself out. So choose your audience. Choose your audience. And Very the, important. What is what is that saying? Read the room. Read the room. Read the room. And that's the same with people too. Yes, it yeah, is. You know, be very careful when you're around, you know, this pertains to the subject of manners, which we've been discussing, but when you're around people, be aware of what you're opening your mouth for and what you're going to say. When I was on tour, I learned another thing, and I knew this this behaviour of yours, and it was always something that I fondly remember you for. You were the expert, as far as I'm concerned, worldwide, internationally, when it came to the handwritten thank you note. There you go. And you told me a story, you shared a story with me about how it has impacted you personally and professionally. And I'd love you to share that with our listeners because you, even to this day, you still handwrite thank you notes? Very much so. Very much. If I'm invited to a party or I've done me a favour or someone has been generous or, or been nice to me or something, it's always a handwritten note. And you know why I do it? Because no one does it anymore. My parents were always meticulous. If I went over for a sleepover at someone's or Uncle Alwyn from Sydney sent me up $5 in an envelope for Christmas time, we always sat down and wrote our thank you notes. Also had an English teacher at Toowoomba Grammar when I was there, John Kennedy, who taught us how to write thank you notes, how to write business notes, how to, how what to do What makes a good thank you note? Well, the fact that you've sent one. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. it, Decently really. And, uh, you have beautiful handwriting, though, Steve. Graciously, beautifully and graciously expressed yourself, mm. expressed some gratitude to someone. I remember later in life, so I developed 
always the thank you note, okay, so throughout my from life. From as far as you can, remember, as long as you can remember? I, I, I remember up the road from where we are here in Abbotsford Road, Maine, in this little podcast room, there was a car dealer, Ian Robinson. One time during many years, and this would have been about 30 years ago, I went to buy a car and I didn't buy the car that he was selling me. I bought someone else's down the road. But at the end of the procedure, strangely enough, I received a letter from Ian saying, I hope you enjoy your new car and when you want to come and talk to me about another one, you know where to contact me. Have a guess who I bought my next car from. From Ian. Yeah, it's just it, it would have taken him a small amount of time to do it, but he knew the benefit of A, hope you enjoy it. Don't bag the competition. Hope you enjoy your new car, mate. Hope it's fantastic. When you come to want a new one and that's going to happen one day, please come and see me. There's my card. And it's so simple because you know what? In all the years of my buying any number of cars, since I bought my first one in 1978, no one's ever done, written me a thank you letter. If they lost the deal, that's the best time it is, to send a thank you letter mm. if you've lost the mm. deal because that shows you're a gracious loser and no one likes anything better than a gracious loser. We'll go around next time, bang, you know, come and see so me then. True. And the other one was I remember... My wife Carla and I were invited to a Michael Bublé concert out at the Entertainment Centre and the team out there, Rod Pilbeam and Harvey Lister, had somehow included Carla and I on a guest list. It's because you're fancy. Well, I, I don't know about that, but we were, very, <laughs> we were very chuffed and we went out there and everyone's there, the Premier's there, all the, all the hoi polloi are there. So we had a marvellous, if you've ever if you've ever seen Michael Bublé in I concert, have. he's just fabulous. I was well. there the same night as you, Steve, but I wasn't in the fancy area. There you go, <laughs> there you go. But, but he's good, isn't he? He's, he's incredible. Good. So so the following day, I penned off a letter to Rod Pilbeam and Harvey Lister, and I said, mate, thanks for that. That's nice of you to include. I'm sure that, you know, include us in your list of invitees. What an entertainer. What a great time we had. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you soon. And Harvey Lister, about six months later, I, I ran into he and his wife Judy at Tartufo Restaurant around the corner in Emporium. G'day, Rod. Did I say Rod or Harvey? Harvey. It, was Rod. it was Rod. It was okay. Rod. And I said, Rod, how are you going? He said, I wanted to tell you something. You know all those people. You know that Michael Bu- I remember it well, the Michael Bublé concert. He said, you know, of all the people that we invited that night, and there would have been 120 of them, you're the only one who sent us a thank you note. And I thought, wow. well, there you go. That's the thing. And that's and every time I see Rod, he says, the thank you note. The thing every time I see Rod socially at a at a note, we were at a Margot McKinney opening yes. the other night. And so does that make it sense? It does, and you I know, bet you're no still one on... does it. No, no but... one says thank you. No. Rule number one, always say thank you. There you go. That can be the first thing we can instill yeah. with the, the, all the sporting codes, yeah. get them on track. Say, say please and thank you. Be grateful. Be grateful. I agree. Yeah. This has been a very enlightening conversation, but I knew it would be because I am a big fan. Before you go, I want to chat to you about, I believe there's a new book yes. in, in the wind. Well, and we've been through a very difficult bit. We had the Wally book, which was a huge success, mm-hmm. Wally Lewis, My Life. Wally and I did that together. Yes. And uh, that was was wonderful. My next project, my wife said to me, when are you going to write? She's a tremendous motivation to me, Carla, because she's a very hard work and she says, come on, you've got to go and write another book. And they, Thomas Mann once said, the person who finds writing more difficult than anyone else in the world is the writer. <laughs> and <laughs> it's very true. Tr- it's very true. It it's is very true. true. You know, you know all the permutations and the amount of work involved. 
Currently, I have uh, taken to the market my latest title, which is the greatest game, 116 seasons of National Rugby League. So it's a big, comprehensive, handsome, passion quality tribute to a sport that's sustained me and one that I love. I think there's lots of different sports that I love. I love Australian football. Mm. I, love, I love a good when, game when, of rugby. When does it release? Well, I've got a deadline, so my people are expecting not next year but the year after that that okay. they will have a book in a hot. And I have a lot of companies like Vizzy and um, Hallmark Trailers and Mick Power down at BMD who have these books branded up for them and they give them away to clients wow. as customer engagement gifts. And they're tremendous because they're giving away the gift of reading. They are. You know, they'll take it down to a school, you know, school school speech night gifts and or to a sporting club, you know, and they'll, they'll uh, sporting club awards nights and things like that. So we found a market there for companies to go away and give something. You know, if you're selling trailers and you you go around to Mack trucks or something, you better take a book and leave it for the boss. Absolutely. So it's, it's, it's a very rewarding period, but gosh, it's a lot of work, Jade. And sometimes I look at it and say, oh, I'd rather curl up on the couch and watch Netflix. <laughs> I'm 64 years of age. You've got to keep going. And you that, do. That's, and that's it, very important, as you, as you know. You've got to really retain an element of that eye of the tiger in you that gets you up. you got to have a sense of purpose. I can't just be looking forward to playing golf on Friday. Mm, mm. You know, got to go. Keep, keep going. And you will. Thank you. Steve, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on What Would June Daly Watkins Do? Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast app so you'll never miss an episode. <laughs>